You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have about 15 years' experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and give you a little bit more context to see the greater implications they'll have on the industry going forward. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving us, leaving us a review, a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use. Finally, to email the podcast, you can reach either one of us at Jeff, Anna, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. How are you doing today, Anna? Hey, good. How, how's it going? Ah, good. <laughs> Jeff? Good. That's, that's not a loaded question, David. You can... <laughs> you didn't have to pause that long. Yeah, so right. Why concerning. did it get awkward mm. all of a sudden with us? Why would you ask me how I am, Anna? <laughs> uh, Jeff, how are you doing this week? Good, man. How are you? Uh, still okay? Good. Okay. Don't ask him. He doesn't like it. Uh, our top story this week, worker receives final paycheck in pennies. And then when I first read this headline, I thought, finally, someone's done it. A Georgia man says his former employer owed him $915 in back pay after he left his job in November. After he left AOK Walker Auto Works, his final check never came, and he had to bring it to the Georgia Department of Labor. Well, he finally got paid. He woke up and found 90,000 pennies at the end of his driveway. The pennies were covered in grease or oil, and his final pay stub with an explicit note sitting on top of the stack. Anna, isn't this glorious? I really enjoyed this story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I read another report on this incident, and the employee, um, Andreas Flatten, was his name, um, he reportedly said that he left his job due to a toxic work environment, mm-hmm. which is not hard to believe. Um, but he said when he put in his notice, his boss, Miles Walker, just kind of put his hands on his head and walked away from and disappeared for like an hour. So maybe that was his time to plot. But, um, you know, it sounds like maybe this person is toxic, but you'd think that as a business owner that they would be able to resist the urge for payback due to the potential for negative press because there's already been some fallout from this. I looked, um, you know, I don't know if Mr. Walker thought that this would blow over quietly, but he already, his business already has a Google rating of 1.1 stars and you can scroll through the reviews and just see what people think about the situation and like whether or not you think it's ethical to rate a business that you've never patronized is one thing, but the damage is done now as anyone who's like looking for auto repair in this area will be able to see a laundry list of complaints, including how unprofessional and vindictive this owner is. Those were words that were used on the reviews. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a steep hill to climb back from that. Um, And people have a fair point in these reviews questioning how like a dispute with a customer might be handled if this is the way this person handles um, his employees, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a good reminder of something I thought that we'd already learned, um, which is that the world is watching in the internet age and you can't really consider something like this a private matter. It kind of has viral written all over it um, and not in a good way. So I think business people should be able to um, predict at this point whether this is like worth the risk, right? Yeah, I uh Jeff, I think it definitely definitely goes to whether or not all press is good press. Cuz he definitely everyone's going to know AOK Walker Auto Works now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and 
you kind of tend to side with the employee here because the owner here had a couple of opportunities to throw this guy under the bus if he was a bad employee, mm-hmm. and he hasn't said anything about that. So without knowing all the dynamics there, you just sort of tend to side with the, the employee. What's interesting to me is some of the parallels that we see in the industrial side. This is automotive repair. Now, going back, let's just say 10 years ago, there was a very equal well, but uh, fair competition, I guess you could say, between independent automotive repair shops and the dealerships mm-hmm. in terms of getting those repair dollars. Well, over that amount of time, warranties have become stronger, lasting longer. People are taking more repairs to dealerships. Mm-hmm. So just from a business perspective, like you guys were alluding to, this guy's really hurting himself just in terms of reputation because he's already fighting an uphill battle against dealerships for repair dollars. Now he's got to deal with this. And then also, just like we talk a lot about the skills gap in the manufacturing side, there's a significant mm-hmm. um, shortage of automotive technicians. Um, Universal, Technical, Universal Technical Institute, which is kind of a coast-to-coast tech school, mm-hmm. um, they're projecting like a 45,000 automotive technician shortage Whoa. coming up here in the next couple of years. So, and it's been like that for a while. So when you look at it just from a purely from a business perspective, <laughs> I mean, there's just a number of factors that are working against this individual. It's tough to find good technicians. It's tough to keep them, and it's in a highly competitive <laughs> area. And then he does something like this, which only is right now generating extremely negative publicity for his business. I mean, so. maybe you could spin it. Maybe uh, <laughs> he just offers, if you ever get change back, it's always going to be pennies, no matter what service you buy. You know, just like... Well, he should have held on to that 1937 penny that oh, the guy said yeah. he found. I mean... That could be worth like four bucks, according to some oh, of my yeah. research. That's, that's yeah. got to be on the bank. I mean, yeah. what I found interesting is that uh, now, what was the the employee's name? Andreas? Uh, yeah. Uh, him and his uh, girlfriend or significant other spend their nights cleaning pennies <laughs> just so he can cash them in. Uh, I also thought found that it was interesting is that there was an oil eater ad right on the page. It's like, go. hey, there are better tools for you, Andreas. <laughs> um, also, you know, the guy wanted to share his story to talk about how some workers are poorly treated by employers. And, you know, while this particular boss was vindictive and cruel, it really made me think of the worker shortage that you've been talking about, where I think a lot of people uh, kind of like to blame lazy people for not wanting jobs. And sometimes there's a reason employers have trouble holding on to, yeah. on to good people. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, also complete side note, everyone's thought of this, right? Everyone has had the bad relationship with the, you know, whoever had your mortgage or the company. And you're just like, yeah, you want your money back? Capital one. <laughs> it's coming in pennies. If I, I'm going to pay more in shipping to get you these pennies. Well, I mean, is the banker who, wherever he got all the coins, they're somewhat complicit too, right? Like, I mean, he had yeah. some help yeah. <laughs> getting to get all these pennies. Well, I, I mean. mean I don't know what tellers are up to now. No one's going into banks. Just like, hey, well, you need 90,000 pennies. I'll get you 90,000 pennies. We found a story, though. There's like a national shortage on yeah. coins. Oh, right? So I wonder if this he had took to, some work. Yeah. I mean, he actually he, had to overpay. If he put a little bit more into helping customers to raise that Google uh, from one star. Uh, <laughs> it's going to take some doing. And I mean, and to your point, I don't remember the last time I was to an independent automotive yeah. mechanic. Uh, moving on to the next story, China fears that Tesla vehicles are eavesdropping. The Chinese government has concerns over Teslas and state security. According to Bloomberg, the vehicles have been banned from military bases. The Chinese military thinks Tesla's cameras could transmit classified information. Tesla owners are being asked to park off-site 
and stop driving them or stop driving them altogether. Elon Musk said such behavior would be dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, the negative impact, the negative effects for that company would be extremely bad. His insight was really compelling for this one. If Tesla used the cars to spy in China or anywhere, any country, we would get shut down everywhere. So there's a very strong incentive for us to be very confidential with any information. I tend to agree with Amanda. Yeah, I do too. I mean, he's not wrong and it would be a crazy business decision. It's certainly not worth it. Um, You know, people are saying that potentially this is China retaliating against the U.S. because Tesla is a well-known U.S. company. Uh, The U.S. has been giving China a really hard time, as we all know, on companies like Huawei and um, TikTok, which is owned by ByteDance, which is a Chinese company. And um, the U.S. is saying that they have security concerns over those companies. So uh, that's, you know, one perspective. I think it's easy to dismiss this as retaliation, considering the U.S. has been going tit for tat, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, one thing I found interesting, and I don't, you know, I'm not even sure how I feel about this as a perspective, but it was interesting nonetheless. Consumer Reports actually posted a report this week citing its own concerns about Tesla's cameras Mm -hmm. and their potential implications relating to privacy. So Consumer Reports says that most other automakers use like a driver-focused camera on a closed-loop type of system. Mm -hmm. And basically they're designed to alert drivers if, say, they're not paying attention or maybe if they were to fall asleep Um, And typically these systems, they don't transmit or record data, but they use like infrared sensors to ID like where your eyes are and stuff. So um, Tesla's cameras work in a different way. They're if they're enabled by a driver, they actually record footage Mm -hmm. of drivers, which Tesla later uses as research for its self-driving technology program. Mm. And the Consumer Reports article sort of bags on Tesla for what it suggests is a monitoring system that actually provides more benefit for Tesla than it does for drivers of Teslas. And um, William Wallace, the manager of safety policy at Consumer Reports, says that the way Tesla's using these in-car cameras indicates that there's a need to bolster these rules around consumer safety and privacy in vehicles. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't know if these allegations out of China feel paranoid. I guess they're really not alone in voicing concerns over potential surveillance and just what those vehicle cameras are actually capable of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jeff, I feel like we're at a point where everyone just feels like they're always on camera. (laughs) It's kind of true for us. Um, (laughs) We are literally on camera. (laughs) Um, Awesome that we could bring a William Wallace reference in. I mean, I'm sorry, I know, a I, long-standing symbol of individual liberty and freedom, <clears throat> without a doubt. <laughs> I wish my face was painted right now. <laughs> um, now, doing a little bit more research too. Initially, when I, when Anna was talking about some of those privacy concerns that Consumer Reports brought up, I, I wasn't as didn't feel as strongly about that. But it is a little creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of that stuff is pretty intense. But I think that is an individual understanding, or they should when they buy that car that this stuff is going on. And you can opt in, sorry to interrupt you, but they, you can opt in and, and opt out, I guess. Yeah. Um, and consumer reports is saying that like, even if you opt out though, you're providing more data and personal information to Tesla than maybe people realize. So maybe there's something in the wording that they're not liking there, yeah. but anyway, sorry, go on. Can't they just go old school and like 
put tape over it. <laughs> yeah, you put a, the post-it, put yeah, the post-it over put it. Put the post-it over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, this is almost, this is kind of a separate discussion, but I mean, we're all giving up way more information than we realize oh, just yeah. with having a Gmail email address. Right. But to me, this feels more like, and we all have kids. We've all been in this, or David, you will shortly, and I'm probably starting to see this, like you blame one kid for something, they go, yeah, but look what he did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this, this feels like to me, I mean, China's coming under a lot of pressure right now. Um, they just uh, they issued some statements. They, first of all, they're dealing with that whole who high thing. Um, they still got their, that VP that's in Canada that is not being um, allowed to let go because they're concerned about secrets there that the, the consumer electronics company is embedding um, different things into their devices and being used to extract um, information that China can use either from a defense or to steal information or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we've, they also came out against a bunch of apparel companies because they've spoken out about human rights abuses going on in the northwestern part of the country. Yeah. So to me, this feels like a definite, Tesla's an easy target. I yeah. mean, they were probably hoping Elon Musk would jump on Twitter and respond to this, mm-hmm. as he typically does. He was actually um, uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically calm and cool about this. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Sort of. He just oh. tweeted the long version of, I like money. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, I agree with you. What he said made a lot of sense. So I, I don't think it makes I don't see why he would intentionally do any of those things. And I think China is deflecting here and trying to play on that. The other thing is if a dash cam is able to drive through a military base and pick up something secret, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You need to (laughs) come in. No, just uh, I was uh, kind of thinking the same thing as you, Jeff. You know, when we're talking about quotes like, alleged human rights abuses. We're talking about more than a million people in uh, Xinjiang that have been confined to work camps. Uh, And it comes down to cotton grown in the region, and it's impacting major brands, including H&M, Nike, Gap, Adidas, and New Balance. And uh, now all the brands and many more have released very carefully worded statements regarding strict policies against forced labor internal investigations and they all mention you know that it's not a key material supplier they won't say it's not a material supplier but it's not a key material supplier and it's just uh i agree with you it also reminds me of the shadow factories that recovered in morocco uh just sort of the extreme lengths that uh some companies are forced to go to uh chasing that lowest bottom dollar i think it's interesting too china's trying to flex a little economic muscle Mm. which it's a little out of character for them. I mean, they haven't, these companies are realizing now this is a huge market for them. Mm-hmm. They want to be in China. They want to continue to operate in China. Um, so for China to sort of take that approach is a little bit of a different tactic, kind of represents a little bit of shifting in terms of where uh, their economic focus is. Whereas before it's, we make it here, send it someplace else. Now they're realizing the purchasing power that this huge company has. So. Next, we have more trouble afoot when it comes to chips. A fire at a chip plant is adding to the shortage. Multiple factors have contributed to a global shortage of chips, including increased demand, pandemic, shut, 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 blah, pandemic shutdowns, and catastroph- oh, catastrophic weather events impacting plants. This is catastrophic. It is. I don't know what just happened to my brain, but it's probably not coming back. I don't smell toast. I think all right. Whatever that memory was, it's gone. Now another disaster will add stress to an already complicated supply situation. Last week, an electrical, f- <clears throat> an electrical fault at a Renaissance chip plant in northern Japan caused a fire to pour smoke into a clean room. The company says it will take at least a month to resume production at its 300-millimeter wafer f- line, 
and auto parts suppliers will begin to see chip shipments fall in about a month, and automakers like Honda, Toyota, and Nissan are, quote, facing a difficult situation. Anna, beyond my stumbles, <laughs> your thoughts on the story? There's a story underneath all of that. Uh, <laughs> Well, we talked about the semiconductor shortage last week, and this just feels like piling on. Like, I think when we all saw this story break at the beginning of the week, we were like, no, like, mm -hmm. is this a joke? I mean, really? How could this be happening still? But anyway, um, it just keeps getting worse, especially in relation to the automotive market. But I, you know, I did want to bring up some good news for the chip supply chain that actually happened this week also, uh, which was Intel revealing a $20 billion investment that they're making in Arizona which will amount to two new chip plants in the city of Chandler. So these are being referred to as fab plants. So they'll basically be doing like contract manufacturing work for partners who design chips, but don't necessarily have the capabilities of making them. Um, it sounds like based on Intel's stated customer profile, which is like Amazon, Google, Qualcomm, that these are going to be mainly for consumer devices, though it will hopefully ease the demand strain, I would think, that's been crossing over into auto as these two industries have just been vying for the same materials and supplies. Um, and I think it's worth pointing out that President Biden has made this semiconductor issue a priority mm -hmm. and is committed to funding efforts um, like the CHIP Act, for example, to boost American manufacturing of chips in order to reduce supply chain hiccups. So it was terrible. Um, it's going to take some time to resolve, but... Hey, some good news in there, right? Eh. <laughs> yeah, some good news, Jeff, but I think it's going to take a while for that good news to get up and running in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of Intel's deal. Like they announce these huge factories, but it takes a while. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a complicated process, and I, or excuse me, a complicated factory to get into production. And then they're also always kind of reinventing the wheel a little bit in terms of their process and doing it quicker, cleaner, better, all that good stuff. Um, what continues to really be interesting to me is when we look at these chips, just the trickle-down impact it has on all these different supply chains. At first glance, you would obviously think about a lot of consumer electronics, home computers, things like that. But, I mean, one of the biggest areas that's been impacted in terms of inventory and just um, overall availability, I mean, is the automotive sector, obviously. And this will hugely impact them. Mm -hmm. um, more, you know, another hit in the uh, the chip supply chain. I mean, when we look at automotive, I mean, it's it's equivalent to probably the second or third largest GDP. If it was his own GDP, mm. I mean, it's just globally, it, it's obviously huge. So to see something like this impact such a big sector that bleeds into so many other areas, so many economies. Um, when we talk about electric vehicles, you know, and the, the mo momentum that's really behind that from the automakers. We talked about last week how these EVs sometimes have as many as three times as many of these chips as a traditional vehicle. You wonder what this is going to have uh, what kind of impact this is going to have both? Obviously, we know what it is going to do short-term in terms of vehicle inventory, but long-term, when we look at the development of electric vehicles and really getting them more mainstream, which is the goal of all the major automakers, what's going to happen there? What's going to happen to their development plans? Well, it's uh, it's also hitting the gaming industry pretty hard, too, because apparently uh, there's been a lot of outcry there. But it's not it's not just EVs, and I feel like it's going to get really bad for a little bit uh, before anything gets better in terms of the implications of the shutdowns. Uh, <clears throat> there have been reports this week of Ford cutting shifts at a truck plant in Kentucky. You know, and these are F-150s. These are not EVs. Uh, they're shutting down another assembly plant in Ohio. And the shutdowns were initially only going to be short, just a few days. But that might not be the case anymore. Uh, and they're 
you know, for example, there are workers at windshield factories that are losing their jobs in Ohio now. And I feel like that trickle down through the supply chain is going to be ugly. And last thing, we don't know when it's going to bounce back. Yeah, exactly. We should have ended with my um, new chip plants <laughs> part yeah. about it. Yeah. But actually, did they mention when they were going to break ground on that at Atlanta? I didn't see that published okay. um, in the report that we ran, so I don't know. Okay. Soon. I hope. Coming soon. Yeah. yeah. From uh, the company reports. Soon? Uh <laughs> The next most popular story on the site this week, uh, Aeromobile is testing a flying car prototype's airworthiness. Flying car startup Aeromobile recently released footage from test flights of the company's experimental prototype conducted late last year. Based in Bratislava, Slovakia, the company is developing a vehicle that rides and flies with the comfort of a luxury automobile rather than the sort of bare bones experience that you get with a single engine aircraft and that it can get sparse in those. Very sparse. The flight tests were a key milestone in determining the vehicle's airworthiness in both the U.S. and Europe. The vehicles are designed to be easy to drive. So, for example, you can hit the accelerator to take off, and it drives like a car when the wheels hit the ground. With a cruise speed of 160 miles per hour, it has a flying range of about 460 miles and a driving range of about 620. And full transformation between drive and flight modes takes less than three minutes. Anna, another flying car you won't ride in. Yawn. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently our readers are not as bored um, with flying cars as I am. Though at least this one actually drives too, so it might kill my thesis that there's no such thing as a flying car because seriously, those other ones are like helicopters, right? Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's cool and all that this thing can fly. Um, You know I'll never set foot on it, but... What what I actually thought was one of its most notable features is related to the land driving version, which is that it's said to have a driving range of 620 miles, which is pretty incredible, mm-hmm. um, though not as incredible as I thought. I mean, I, I know like it looks like this is some type of a hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, the the notes on their site suggest that it's got an internal combustion engine. It's got some sort of battery power. Um I know that like a Model S from Tesla is kind of the top of the line in terms of range right now. And that can drive for like a 400 and change miles. Mm. Um, and then and that's like probably the highest pure electric on the market. But if you're um, I don't know if you guys know this. I didn't know this. Like with an internal combustion engine, if you, you can get a Dodge Ram with a 33 gallon tank upgrade and that gets you like an 800 mile range. Do you know that? That's I didn't. I didn't unbelievable. know that. Unbelievable. <laughs> I have so, no. I have no call to go that far ever. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, exactly. And also, if you're like in a half plane, half car, yeah, like what are you doing? I don't. I like. <laughs> like, why are you driving 600 miles? <laughs> right. We're hitting the open road. We just flew 400. We don't need to drive any further. We got here. I know. I have so many questions about this thing, and it's weird when you look back at like. The development of this thing, which it's been in development for years, there's been a lot of like, sh- like shade thrown at this company, like this is never going to happen. Um, I think it is becoming more realistic as time goes on and they've done a lot of development, but like, and they're saying now commercial product ready by 2023, which is like insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe this is going to happen. I don't like, I'd be curious yeah. to know like how much this thing weighs. Yeah. And you say 2023, but like we were 
talking just two years ago when they were speculating it was going to be between 1.2 and 1.6 million dollars that it was also going to be commercially available this year so Mm -hmm. in two years they pushed the timeline back three years so we're not sure and 1.6 million dollars uh (laughs) for one of these guys what's that 1.6 million yeah between 1.2 and 1.6 so i'm thinking niche market niche yeah like a kind of a richard branson type yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's just like, I don't need that. I made my own space. Yeah, I got force. my own planes. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Uh Jeff, your thoughts on uh the Aeromobile. Well, it's interesting because this is the most feasible mm-hmm. one that we've seen of these. And we're talking about, you know, when would you want to drive six hundred miles? But the fact that it can mm-hmm. shows that the the engineering and the develop product development was definitely in the right mm-hmm. frame of mind. Um you know, and it was also reassuring, you know, looking at the article that they said their highest priorities included controllability, stability, and maneuverability and providing mm-hmm. predictable but agile behavior and being generally easy to fly. That's good. Okay? That's, <laughs> yeah. that, that makes me feel better that we won't be flying out, you know, falling out of the sky. The one thing I wonder when I look at this, and I missed it maybe, how do the wings, what happens with the wings when you're driving? I don't, uh, do they like, I they, think the wings go up. They go, they go uh, up. Because yeah. <laughs> when you look at, because if I'm going to pay $1.2 to $1.6 million, I want something that looks cool. And to me, this looks like a smart car with some wings plastered on top. Oh, of it. I'm wrong. They uh, they fold <laughs> backwards. So, um, so okay, kind yeah, like a, yeah. Still, man, if you're going down the road in that thing, I mean, I'd want to be in the air so people didn't see me because oh, you would be bold. too embarrassed. It just it is not an attractive vehicle to me. Yeah. Um, which I know, like we're we go back and forth for like, hey, it looks really cool, but it can't do anything. So what's yeah. the point? Yeah. But this one can appreciate the practicality of what it can accomplish. But again, boy, that's a lot of money to pay. I mean, it, seriously, it looks like when you took your Hot Wheels and like taped some popsicle sticks on it so it could fly. It's uh, I mean, I think it's the Terrafusia one that where the wings go up. But I don't know. I think this one's a little bit more beyond a Hot Wheels with popsicle sticks <laughs> because they have, I mean, the people that are building the popsicle sticks, this is what the company's pedigree is. BMW, Aston Martin, McLaren, Mercedes-Benz, F1, and Ferrari F1, as well as Lockheed, <laughs> Rolls-Royce, Airbus, and Diamond Aircraft. Pop- so, popsicle stick companies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one rogue wood manufacturer. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, while there's only speculation about the price, if you just look at the company's pedigree, as well as uh, some of the prototypes, I think that that might be in line with it. Um, the company also, like you said, commercially available by 2023, but they've put 10 years of development 300,000 hours of engineering and flight tests and it has three it's had three different prototypes. And so I mean when you're working with that sort of pedigree, I just seem to have a little bit more faith than some of the guys that are like, "Nah, I just carved it in the garage. Mm-hmm. She'll fly." Again, I think it all the specs look right. Yeah. It just doesn't look very cool to me. And know. it's uh that doesn't look cool to you? What is what looks cool to you? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> <laughs> um also, I w- just wanted to stress that we've done a lot of stories about like air taxis and urban air mobility, and that's not going to be this. No, this is going to be Tommy's flying supercar. You know, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, this is going to be the one that you everyone pauses as it rolls down the road and just like, did you see that? You paid how much for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That It'll man. be in the next Mission Impossible movie. Oh, we'll all get to see it. Right. Tom Cruise will bring his own. Yep. The most popular story on our sites this week, most popular story in the world, is the massive cargo ship blocking the Suez, <clears throat> Suez Canal. A container ship, 
that's the size of a floating skyscraper has become wedged across the Suez Canal in Egypt, and it's causing one hell of a backup, threatening to disrupt a global shipping system that's already strained by the coronavirus pandemic. The Ever Given is a Panama-flagged ship, and if it ever giveth, it will ever taketh away. Oh. Yeah. Wow. How long were you working on that one? Not as long as, no. <laughs> Not an entire night, definitely. Are you just glad you didn't have to say catastrophic again? <laughs> yeah, it's just so I could go, blah, blah. That's just my <laughs> mouth quitting. The ship ran aground on Tuesday in the narrow man-made canal on its trip from China to the Netherlands. The ship's bow is touching the eastern wall while the stern is lodged against the western wall. It's an extraordinary event that hasn't happened in the canal's 150-year history. 10% of world trade flows through this canal that is now blocked by a skyscraper. Anna, this is going to cause some problems. Yeah, it's kind of weird, though, that it's never happened, right? I mean, if it can happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> like... <laughs> Then how has it never happened? Is this like the equivalent of the first time a truck could, didn't make it under an overpass? Exactly. Yeah. It's and like, then, ooh, yeah. Should have thought of that. <laughs> yeah. I read an estimate that the blockage of the canal is costing $400 million an hour. Ooh. I know. I mean, unfortunately, as you mentioned, the timing is not great to have shipping delays considering the massive demand for goods. And of course, companies trying to fill those backlogs um, mm-hmm. from the, the pandemic and the shutdowns. Uh, plus, there is a container shortage. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Um, I read a report in Wired this week that said that there that nearly 3,000 containers have fallen off cargo ships in the Pacific since November, which is more than twice the average number lost in a year. Man. Wow. Yeah, I know. So they're blaming um, weather and also like heavier traffic that's coming with this boom in the import cargo. But um Lars Jensen, CEO of Sea Intelligence Consulting, that's a thing, mm-hmm. um, told CNBC this week that the schedule reliability for container vessels is already in disarray as a result of the pandemic. And that um, he said that two out of three container vessels arrive late currently <laughs> and at an average of five days late. So he says that, quote, the longer this drags out, the worse it gets because you're then talking about effectively removing vessel capacity as well as containers at a point in time where they are already in short supply. So this container thing is actually like another thing. Yeah. I think we could also point out that there's actually livestock on this ship that's stuck. Um, Um, We've seen a couple stories in recent months about entire shiploads of livestock that have been slaughtered because they have been unable to dock due to the coronavirus. So um, once they're at sea for like a certain amount of time, they just deem them. I don't know what the medical term, the veterinary. And they put them down. They put them down because they're yeah. not good anymore. I don't know. Yeah. They got see They're they're too wobbly. Um, I don't know why they have to put <laughs> yeah. them down, but they do. It's uh, I think there's a timing thing there. Yeah. Like from the time they load to the time they offload has to. Well, well, like, like, do they go bad i don't they're alive i don't i don't, I don't know say. i mean it, it could be it could be that just that like living conditions for them is sour yeah. to the point where they're no longer you know can be consumed by humans uh the other thing is that you know talking about container problems i didn't know about the container shortage but i've heard from many manufacturers that aren't getting materials here because a the cost of getting something on a container has been so high mm-hmm. that uh they can't just pay to have their own container brought over they're actually buying they're like 
buying space in a container. But as a part of that, you have to like wait until the thing is full. So the timelines, the lead times are just, you don't even know because you have no idea when they'll fill that container. And now you don't know if it'll even get here. Wow. Yeah, I know for a while too, we're looking at, I think this is eased now as things, the with vaccinations and everything with the COVID stuff calming a bit. But I mean, there's a lot of um, individuals working on these container ships who were not allowed into port, like mm-hmm. just to offload these ships. Like they've been out at sea for, oh yeah, you know, six, eight, ten months or more. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's like eighteen now. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. it's awful. crazy. So we were need already to, over yeah. when the pandemic started. Yeah. So when you talk about some of those containers going missing, I mean, worker fatigue or, or something yeah. else could be playing a role. I have to admit, when I first read this story, they talk about this um, this consulting team from. Uh, company called Boscalis. It's a Dutch firm that specializes in salvaging and towing and other things like this. So they brought them in mm-hmm. to to help with this problem. And I kind of thought of like Liam Neeson, you know, having a very particular set of skills. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then they get there and they're looking at this thing going, this is going to take forever. Like yeah. they're even going, this is going to take days to weeks to, <laughs> to get this resolved because it's so heavy. Yeah. They can't mm-hmm. tow it. So they either need to offload it, which is going to take forever and be super time-consuming, or they need to figure out a way to dredge underneath it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just me as like a landlocked Midwestern guy, but did you see the size of this thing compared to oh. a backhole? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that blew me away. I could not believe just When they said huge. skyscraper sized, I was like, you must be exaggerating. And then I saw the photo with the backhoe, and I'm like, nope, it was accurate. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Um, and also, I don't think it would be Liam Neeson. I think a more appropriate example would be uh, Bruce Willis in Armageddon. If he just showed up and he's like, Nah, NASA, this one's on you. I don't think I can do that. <laughs> well, and just, just adding just another mind-blowing number, you know, another consulting um, firm here talked about it, like $9 billion worth of goods flowing through the Suez Canal on a daily basis. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, jeez. I mean, that's a day. I, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a bigger story that we should talk about, uh, the treatment of those workers that are working on these ships and uh, how they can't get into uh, ports because – People have left, you know, people that they would normally get visas from, from their embassies in these countries and uh, nations have abandoned the embassies. And so they're kind of just left alone to fend for themselves. And that just means they stay on the ship. And it is, it's tragic. Um, One thing that was also interesting is that you can see this blockage from space. And today, uh, the European Space Agency's Copernicus Sentinel-1 satellite system (laughs) showed photos of just how crowded it's getting. Um, I don't know. I just, I also feel like this is just another manifestation of global burnout, kind of to your point earlier. I mean, we made it like a year smiling through this thing and now we're just over everything. Have you been, are we supposed to be smiling? I mean, well, I I feel like everyone like kind of just, you know, white knuckled it through a calendar year (laughs) and they're just like, yeah, I got nothing left. Mm -hmm. You know, leave it there. We'll build another canal later. Uh, (laughs) uh, Also like the memes floating around that just say, you had one job. And I mean, did the, anyone mention how it got sideways? I didn't see anything about that in the report. How, you know, nobody took a minute to be like, hey, you guys notice we're coming in a little left? Like, yeah. I, um, yeah, the tugboats are trying to dislodge it. It's, you know, what? Yeah, 200,000 metric tons. And there's no idea when it's going to reopen. So. I mean, these guys from this, this Dutch firm got to be like, we've seen it. We've mm-hmm. done it. And then they get there and just, I mean, they, their eyes had to be popping out of their head. Yeah, right. You guys are still going to like pay for our chopper out of here because we're not helping you. All right. 
Moving on to the next segment. Uh, do we have segment music yet? No! If we did, it would play right then. Mm-hmm. Next segment, in case you missed it. Uh, Jeff, what's your in case you missed it this week? Well, we, we touched on this a little bit last week, mm-hmm. but there was a huge grape nuts shortage, the cereal. <laughs> Devastating. Um, Devastated men. And, and apparently they figured it out. Now, if you were going to guess, what do you think would cause a shortage in grape nuts? Which, not to bash it, but like I've never had a bowl because I tried like one spoonful and it just was not. Yeah. Ready. I, I would assume that the shortage would be either boxes Grapes or nuts? I like them. Uh, you know, my husband crushes up Oreos in his <laughs> grape nuts. <laughs> you know and what? It turns like out a, like as a dessert. <laughs> it's like fantastic. such an old man thing. <laughs> oh, does he put it atop like ice cream or he just. No, just eats a bowl of it. <laughs> I've heard of like a spoonful of sugar in there, not just like, you know what? I'm going to put a row of Oreos in it. it tastes I know. Great. I'm like, don't do that in front of the kids. I don't need <laughs> them seeing that. <laughs> uh, so it's not, it's not a shortage of grapes or nuts. Um, actually there's no grapes or nuts Oh, in grape nuts. I'm not, I guess I'm not familiar. But it all goes back to actually the way it's made. So they shut oh. the factories down for a while and because it's like, it's actually like a highly guarded secret how they make grape nuts. Really? Um, so that kind of led to the shortage where people were, I cannot believe this, paying up to $110 no. for a <laughs> box of grape nuts. Yeah. Um, I mean. Just I, in the like. The jacket, just like, I got what you need. <laughs> I should check my bank account. Um, oh, right? So, Chris has been on the market. He's, he's just been, like, I got two bags of Oreos. I need a box. <laughs> <laughs> well, to that point, Jeff, like, what's even crazier about that story is that Grape Nuts came out and said, hey, getting boxes back on the shelf, yeah. and they will compensate people yeah. for that overage. Yeah, it's according to the story here. Anybody paid $10 or more for a box of Grape Nuts, they want to take care of you. Yeah. So um, you can see this the uh, <laughs> the story on our site, and there's some links there where folks can go reach out to them on Facebook or Instagram as well. If you uh, yeah, if you just were Jones and so bad for some grape nuts and uh, overpaid for them, what well, a genius marketing campaign! Really, well, I mean, yeah, true, but like, that's a great call, Anna. Yeah. How so? When Chris scored black market, yeah, uh, or gray market grape nuts, yeah. How are you going to submit the receipt? Like, do you have to like submit the conversation that he had with the person on right. Facebook Marketplace? There's, if there's a text thread or something, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Just like, hey, hun, sorry. Uh, just like, oh, what, bar again? No, I actually paid like $300 for two boxes of grape nuts. Maybe like, he has some footage from his Tesla that he could <laughs> use as proof. <laughs> nice, nice. I uh, Fortunately, I wasn't impacted by this. Well, the shortage is over. That's yeah. the good news. I guess, uh, how come... So the shortage is because they shut down the plant? Basically, it was such a it's, a, it's a highly secretive formula that they use. So when the production slowed, people weren't in there. They were just were not able to keep up with demand. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, because there's definitely... It's not something you can mass produce. You know, we were talking about Fruity Pebbles last week. You know, something mm-hmm. tells me, you know, Fruity Pebbles, Rice Krispies, probably not too different in yeah. terms of the production process, but apparently this one's pretty unique. Yeah, mm. they just shake those out of the magic clouds, right? That's Lucky Charms. Oh, very good. Yeah, you are mixing up uh, on, Lucky Charms and Fred Flintstone's uh, that was a brand cata- cereal. That was a catastrophic mistake yeah. you just made. I've made plenty. Let's just add it to the list. Uh, Fred Anna. Flintstone named his daughter after that cereal. Uh, Do you understand, David? <laughs> I don't think so. I think actually that Pebbles was the namesake of the cereal when Fred launched. And then 
luckily, when she took over the company, she really made some good changes. Yeah, yeah. She brought it out of the Stone Age, Anna. Wow. Diamond oh, my deep. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this segment needs to end, I think. <clears throat> well, let's shut her down and talk about your Ray of Sunshine story this weekend. Well, okay, fine. Let's do that. Uh, my In Case You Missed It this week was about um, a Russian national that pleaded, pled guilty in a ransomware plot that is being characterized as so brazen that it's almost hard to believe. And it involves Tesla. Mm-hmm. So uh, Igor, Igor Igorovich Khrushchev, Khrushchev is being accused of offering a Tesla employee $1 million to cripple the electric car company's like battery plant in Nevada with ransomware and steal some secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what the prosecutors are saying. So um, anyway, but what was unusual was that instead of operating under cloak of secrecy, uh, this man um, like did a straight up face to face attempt. Like, I don't know. So if it didn't work out, then he could sell the movie rights as a backup plan. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know. It was just like so weird to imagine anyone doing that. I mean, sometimes you got to go old school and bring a physical briefcase full of money. Right. Yeah. Like you just like you like meet someone at a diner, like in a Quentin Tarantino movie and you I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like the experts believe that that the risk involved in the face to face offer probably indicates that this individual um, who they say was backed by Russian co-conspirators was looking for very specific information rather than just attempting like a run of the mill ransom, Mm. because they say that that's just unlikely that you would, you know, you can install ransomware from anywhere, but um, it's not been said whether he had ties to the Kremlin though. It's worth noting that he was here for only a few months on a tourist visa when the crime was committed. So there are, you know, some suggestions that maybe this was premeditated. Uh, so we don't, touch. we don't know like what he was seeking here, mm-hmm. but rest assured that the prosecutors are going to drop the hammer on this guy with a 10 month sentence of which he has already served seven. So we'll see this guy in a couple of weeks. Really? Uh, a 10 month sentence. We did a story about a guy who, uh, you know, with some fraudulent PPP loans and he's looking at 30 years. <laughs> Yeah, they said it was a plea deal. So, I mean, who knows what he offered in return? I mean, if, but still, it, I don't know. <laughs> right. It's uh, nothing like a good extortion scheme. Yeah. Um, they always work out. Yeah. I, they always work out. <laughs> Mine, in case you missed it this week, was uh, a story about Stellantis cost cutting that includes Nixon toilets at the plants. And I could just think of better ways to save money, but who knows? When Fiat Chrysler and PSA Group merged to form Stellantis, CEO Carlos Tavares promised to keep plants open and all workers employed. Well, production costs costs in Italy are higher than any other manufacturing facility, and the company's job promises, as well as a commitment to nearly $6 billion in savings per year, are kind of making things difficult. So, The company is cutting cleaning services, uh, reducing the temperature in the facilities, and limiting the number of toilets available to staff. (laughs) Stellantis is also considering closing a production line at another plant in southern Italy, and the downsizing is in line with the CEO's back-in-the-race strategy that he had at PSA, and it did help the car maker recover from near bankruptcy. I mean... For me, it just seems like toilets are an odd place to start. Maybe that was the foundation of what saved PSA 
is there's all these workers at PSA just going, oh no, we cut out toilets and we saved our jobs. <laughs> um, straight shooter on the site said, I'd think that we would need more cleaning services after reducing access to toilets. Hey ho, especially in a pandemic. And at PSA, all plants producing fewer than 250,000 vehicles per year saw capacity cut from two production lines down to one. Perhaps that's a sign of things to come for Stellantis after the merger. But uh, I just, in terms of morale, overall yeah. operations, yeah. I mean, toilets. I mean, we've Confusing. all seen the people on the line peeing into the bottle, right? Well, what this reminds me of is like some of those stories you heard about Henry Ford's early plants when okay. they were just churning stuff out and people would actually head to the restroom just so they could like sleep for 10 minutes. Oh, know, really? Catch Aww. a break. I mean, so, I mean, different dynamic here in terms of them trying to more keep the plant alive as opposed to catch a break. But Right. Yeah. Take the cots out then, still, not the toilet. Oh, still a like, weird place to start. It's yeah. weird. And my question is like, how does it actually save money? Like, did they have this very big like toilet expansion project that they're now cutting, or are they actually like removing existing toilets? No, these are and, these are existing toilets that just have an X on the door now. Yeah, you just <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They have a do not use sign uh, uh, and then some tape over the seat. Yeah, I mean, in terms of cost cutting that I've seen, whether or not it has seemed, you know rather harsh or not, I tend to understand it, you know, regardless of where they are. But when I read this one, I was like, the man's going after their potties and I don't get it. It's like Dwight Schrute, kind of when he was like oh. taking the toilet paper from, mm-hmm. from double ply to one. <laughs> Restringing the, the, it is. the rolls. That's currently what they're doing now. Yeah. They got, they uh, shifted some workers over. They have to Mo's the in there with a pedal machine and... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, I feel like workers without access to toilets are not the most productive workers. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's it's not great press. I mean, like, you know, you have all these companies that are like falling all over themselves to show like what great culture they have and how much they respect their workers. And, you know, back to the story we started with today, like, is this really good for your business to be like, we're, you know cutting people's bathroom breaks inexplicably like and there's no really yeah. discernible payoff to this i don't know it's i don't think it looks good the same punishment that you have for kids in like kindergarten mm-hmm. oh, you can't go to the bathroom till uh yeah your work's done no hall passes at yeah. stellantis uh moving on to final thoughts uh to close out the show jeff what's your final thought this week final thought um I think uh, looking forward to a week where we can talk about companies doing more positive things maybe would be a good thing. We talked about a lot of stuff where they're really stepping on themselves. So, um, yeah, maybe we can look at some more um, positive things next week. We always say that, but Mm -hmm. we'll see. Well, that's uh, when I tried to cover a positive story last week, I fumbled it. And so I will apologize from uh, one of our listeners, Rick, who said, please check your Mac molding story. I was watching your podcast, and you mentioned Mac Molding was in Virginia. Pretty sure it's on East Arlington Road in Arlington, Vermont. So there could be another Mac Molding, possibly in Virginia, but the one I'm aware of is in Vermont. Thank you, Rick, for very much throwing that in my face. And actually, thank you for catching that. Apparently, I just saw a state that started with a V and said Virginia, because even my notes said Vermont. So I apologize for that one. Uh, Anna, your final thought this week. Uh, I just wanted to share with our um, with our listeners uh, 
that one time in like 2005, I bought Jeff a Mike's Hard Lemonade as a joke while we were (laughs) (laughs) out at a bar because he said, I don't care. Just give me whatever. So um, Jeff played the long game on on that one. And like uh, earlier this week, I said that I could use a drink and Jeff uh, left a six pack of Mike's Hard Black Cherry Lemonade on my desk so congrats, Jeff. That was, <laughs> I mean, you got me good there. <laughs> like a 17 year long play. That's yeah, amazing. I know. It was like the, the longest play ever. It was like amazing. That's right. Next week you're going to get iced. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy in moderation. Oh man. Um, well, that's fantastic. I hope you share. Um, my final thought this week, uh, beyond my mix up, <clears throat> mess up. Oh my God. <laughs> you just messed up. The I, just, mess up. I just messed up my mistake up. It wasn't even a geography thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, uh, please make sure to like, share this with other people so that way they can see how terrible I am as a podcast host. And email the podcast all the things I got wrong, including my failings as a human. Uh, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Anna, and David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, that would really help us out a lot. Make sure that you see it first. Um, for Jeff, Anna, I'm David Manti, and this has been the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.